Music from the Elder. Um, it wasn't really uh, a great success in Kiss terms in this country. Uh, can you explain why? Kiss. Kiss has always been about being totally committed to what you're doing, and sometimes we take left-hand turns. That's that's who it is that we are. As early as yeah. 1976, we decided to do a ballad, and that had nothing to do with Kiss, and but we wanted to do it. And the Elder was was something was an experiment that we wanted to try. And we did it, and we're proud that we did it, and you, then you move on. And because of the elder, it clears up the perspective a little bit, maybe, and then you get a very clear point of reference that, you know, the next album is not what you... Uh, you don't want to do the elder part, too. Mm. And Creatures was mm. born because of that. It's but also interesting that people... Some people will hear something like the elder or Beth and say, well, they're not heavy metal anymore. Mm. And... You need that freedom, you know. Um, to do something else. Absolutely. I mean, you're sitting here with a blue shirt on. Now, I would never in a million years say, well, he wears blue shirts every day. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know, your identity has to have that much flexibility. So, um, I mean, we are absolutely what we are, always have been. But in being that, it means we need the freedom to experiment. <laughs> Only You is a great song. What what was that before it was Only You, Julian? That was Eskimo Sun, or parts of it were Eskimo Sun, uh, which Gene told Ken Sharp in uh, Goldmine years ago. So that one dates from you know 1970 or so, before Wicked Lester, and he demoed it up with uh, Brooke uh, and put it out on a publishing tape. Oh, okay. And Rainbow actually performed that live before they became Wicked Lester. So. And is that Brooke Ostrander? Yeah, right. he was the uh, the keys okay. piano. That's right. Okay, okay. And only you has had a life after the elder, hasn't it? Doro. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She recorded and and changed it up a bit, right? She 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 took it back a a bit to. I think there's a different verse in there that she used that was uh, part of the original song, and then I think it got sampled by Tupac. Oh wow. Yeah, I, I think it definitely got, it may not be Tupac, because uh, God knows with all the stuff that's come out in his name, uh, but it definitely got uh, sampled by an act of that genre. The song Julian is referring to is actually The Answer by Jules Santana. Give this a listen. I'm here. Yes, I am. It's no one like me, man. Come on. Only You is that nice, quirky Gene Simmons sort of song, you know? Yeah. It, it That's straight back to his sort of solo album type of material. Yeah. It's really cool. It works well. It's well executed, uh, you know, well crafted. And the chord progression that opens the song. Uh, is a, is a, is a very angular and interesting chord progression, you know, particularly for a Kiss record. It's not your usual thing that you hear on a Kiss record. That's really well done. It's a great, great song, and I love anything where Gene and Paul share vocals, you know, trading back and forth. It and it works, I think, magically in that song. Um, Under the rose. Some who said that it was kind of creepy to them, scared them. I just scared me as a kid, and it's you know, and even uh, and now looking back on it or or listening to it now, it's the most uh, cinematic song 
on the record. It's the one that evoked the idea of like, wow, it's going to be a movie and it's going to be, you know, this thing that's bigger than the record. That to me is the song that that I point to and go, okay, well, I see, I see it in that song. Very epic. Well, there yeah. are, there are moments on the album where they they attempt to make it a narrative, right? And that song mentions the the order of the rose. It mentions taking the oath. Um, you know, and it, and it kind of ties in a lot of the themes that I guess that they were trying to to have go through the album. I also love just to go back to the end of um, Only You for a second. I love when the guitar uh, revisits the uh, I Am Just a Boy. Do you know what I'm talking about? Right before it goes into Under the Rose, you yeah. get that da 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 da. I, anything like that in a concept album does work for me, and I do like that they did that. Anyone, yeah, that's very cool. Anyone else here like concept albums? Um, I, I yeah, I mean, I enjoy concept album. It's not necessarily my preferred uh, listening, you know, pleasure. But concept albums are. I mean, it depends right. on how you define a concept album. Is Pet Sounds a concept album? Is Sergeant Pepper a concept album? Is you know, American Idiot a, a concept album? Yes, or, yes, and yes. Yeah. So I mean, those are great records. But they, the, a good concept album exists outside of the concept. If you don't know the concept, but yet it's still a great record. Right. Um, which is where, you know, I think fans still have trouble with this album. Is it, it, you know, it's hard to separate it from the concept because it's part of the history of the album. Right, you know? right, right, right. It's very difficult to just pick a song off of this album and listen to it. It almost feels like you have to listen to the album in its entirety for it to to have the attendant effect. And all concept albums are that way, but this album really feels, if you just take most of the songs out and just listen to them for what they are, they just feel lost. They don't feel complete. Well, Under the Rose is definitely the great expectations of this record. And uh, the thing I've that always fascinated me is that the chorus, I can't really pick out anybody's voice that i recognize no yeah. it's not i don't think it's anyone in kiss and i and um i think L loretta carvello said um when ken interviewed her for a podcast he uh, she said um that eric was disappointed because he wanted kiss to sing that the uh the, the chorus the loneliness will haunt you will you sacrifice all that stuff yeah, I think he wanted them to sing it, or he didn't like the way it turned out. He thought it should have been more, more of a like a the band rocking out on it or something. But yeah, yeah, I, I don't know who it is. I you know I'm sure it's in the liner notes, but it it ain't Kiss. No, right. But then the next track is very Kiss, right? This is where we get Dark Light, the I'm, most Kiss song on the album, I think. Yeah, but somebody, I want somebody would have to have to prove to me. That Paul and Gene play a note on that song, I just don't think they do. Oh, they to don't. Me, to me, it's an Ace Ace Frehley solo album song with Eric Carr playing drums. And oh, absolutely, actually, I, I doubt you. Is it proven that Eric Carr played drums on that song? Is it not Anton? It's not Anton. Okay. And yet he has a writing credit on that song. That's pretty pretty odd. Is is it Anton on the Don't Run demo? That that would be interesting. I, I think Anton's actually come out and said in the past that it's definitely not him on the album. So who knows with demos? It it could be, but yet, what's the drum sound like? Does it sound like heaven? 
on the uh, on the demo, and I, I think there's a certain amount of sonic unity between the two, but who knows? Drummers, speak up. Right. If you know, let us know. Um, great guitar solo, great song. I, I remember first hearing the record and thinking that it was cool that Ace had that song and thinking that it was that it was kind of flexible of him to be Ace Frehley but also be doing this kind of material. Um, and I wish he would play it live. It's, it's, He's, he talked about it, didn't he? Uh, for the right after um, Anomaly came out, I believe Ace was talking about playing Dark Light, if I'm not mistaken. Well, yeah, I, they were thinking of rehearsing it for the tour. I'd like to know who it is that keeps convincing these guys not to perform any of this material themselves. Well, Absolutely. well, that's ridiculous. I, you know, I mean, I I remember watching the the Symphony show. You know, when they're like, "Oh, we're not going to play anything from the Elder," and Blah blah blah, and you know all that stuff. What a missed opportunity! There, there are two, I think, tragically missed opportunities uh, when Ace was back in Kiss. One, one of them was I would have liked to have heard Ace and Paul duet on Hide Your Heart. Absolutely, uh, I agree 100 percent on that. I think that could have been cool, and I think Ace's version is is actually better than Kiss's version. But, um, and I would have liked when, you know, potentially maybe when Eric Singer was there in 2001. I would have liked for them to do Escape from the Island because they could have done it and it, and it could have been awesome, but whatever. But or, it wouldn't have gone down well. I mean, if you've been in like uh, a Concord in 2004 when they pulled out all the way, it was just like dead zone. Was it? It was. And I mean, same with Lover All I Can. Oh. You know, unfortunately, when they say they can't do this because of the masses, as much as we hate hearing it as diehards, it's actually true. Yeah. They're they're totally right. Yeah. If, I, if they threw this into the set, you know, people would just be, they wouldn't know. They'd go to the bathroom. If they were going to do anything with Ace Live, you know, back in the reunion era, it should have been Rocket Ride. So you know, right. as good as, as good as Dark Light is. Right. They would have said, "That's great. Now play Love Gun." <laughs> that's uh, unfortunate. Unfortunate. I'd love. Well, you know. That's why Ace has to play it in one of his solo shows because Ace at least does sort of pull out some of those songs. You know, we we we've, we heard Torpedo Girl and Hard Times, and you know, there's no reason for him not to play that. Ace, if you're listening, and of course you are, um, please play this song next time you tour, and please tour soon. Yeah, and uh, please, Ace, tell us how much of this song is you because it's got Lou Reed and uh, Gene involved in it. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm. Yeah, I'm assuming that. Um, Lou Reed got his hands on on the Don't Run demo and just, you know, he and Gene collaborated on the lyrics and that would make sense, which I guess brings us into the next song, right? And another Lou Reed uh, lyric, which is World Without Heroes. Um, Not just because it's the single, but for me, this is absolutely the standout track on the album. Um, Far and away, it's, like I said earlier, it's one of my top ten favorite Kiss songs. Um, Just... A beautiful song. It's not unlike a lot of the elder songs. It's not too long. It's 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 very short, very concise. Um, just things that it you know in the production of the song and the way things are played. For example, my favorite part of the entire song is something you can visually see on Unplugged that you don't think of when you hear it, but it's really cool. Is just the way that Gene 
turns his bass down, strikes the note, and then turns it back up to get that resonating low tone at the end of the song. Right. I like that and a lot, too. Yeah, I know, I know what you're talking about. It's a great song. The guitar solo is fantastic. Paul really, in my opinion, just outdid himself on that guitar solo. Yeah. Um, just a standout track. Well, let me let me ask something. The performance of this song on Fridays, does anyone... Can anyone convince me that Ace plays anything on that song except just sit there and hold his guitar and kind of strum at nothing? Because I'm convinced he, he his guitar is just turned off in that song. Uh, I, I, I'm, I've thought the same thought, believe it or not. Yeah. Yes, I think this is one of those songs, the, the Fridays, that I would kill to hear the rehearsal of that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because, because there is a tape of the rehearsals, oh. and uh, I would just love to hear what Ace was doing that day. <laughs> um, so whoever's got that tape, if you're listening, podcast at gmail dot com. Right, there is a right way to make songs about um, heroes and achievement and uh, reaching your goals and climbing mountains. I think that this is maybe the best way to do it because it's not about you know check me out i just hit a bullseye this is about you know what it would be like if that wasn't an option and i think that that's a that's a more interesting way of talking about it is to not talk about you know i'm a hero you're a hero but to talk about what it would be like if there was a world without heroes i the song that that ends the record is i think the a tasteful way to do the the big you know believe in yourself uh, you know, climb a mountain, do that sort of thing. It it could have ended there, and I would be okay with. I'd be okay with that. I don't feel like we need a lot of songs about climbing mountains. Um, but but uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. I also think just in the in the sort of the historical context, the video for this song is so um, lame. Not that it's not a again. It's one of those things. It's a it's a fine video, but it's not a it's not a good kiss video. And the thing where Gene cries at the end is such a um, it's so against the brand of Gene Simmons that that was known worldwide. You know, you expect to see blood dripping out of his mouth, not a <laughs> out of his eye. You know, and that I think that just that image it's in its of itself indelibly damaged the band it was like the to me that image was the capper of everything that had come from super kiss you know the the, the vegas style costumes and you know and the disco songs and then and then that image of you know gene simmons you know no top knot you know just without really kind of de-armored because that was sort of his outfit then and then crying on top of it, you know, <laughs> just it was too many things piled on that were so against what people knew that band for. It's like the power of video right there. It's like World Without Heroes is their, you know, rock me tonight. You know what I mean? Right. I, 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 I know, I know what you're saying and you're right. And I love it. Well, if you're a fan, you love it, but I'm talking about how that played to, you know, as, as we were saying, the masses. Right. No, I no, I know, I know, I know. 
I mean, f- y- yes, it was the it was a nail in the coffin, and maybe it was the nail in the coffin. Um, and this was before they were selling coffins. But uh, I I think that it the reason that it resonates with me, even though I, it's pure cheese, um, is that um, I I still feel like my formative kiss moment was bringing home that Gene Simmons solo record and really not knowing what was going to be on it. So I, I, it makes sense in the same way that um, when you wish upon a star makes sense. Because at, at the critical moment when Gene could have been defined for me as War Machine or God of Thunder or, or almost human, uh, the definition of Gene and Kiss for me was everything on his solo record. So it made sense that he would cry, and I see that it's an, a ridiculous moment. Well, I also think that there are those moments, and you just named a couple of them, you know, you know, the When You Wish Upon a Star and this song in particular, where you get a sense of this is not a Gene Simmons that exists now. This is a Gene Simmons that still had some pretension, even if it was just a, a, a tiny sliver of his personality, of putting out some personal aspect of himself in his work. Uh, and, you know, some emotion, some heart, some things that he really believed in. That yes, he might have gotten it from comic books and and movies and things, but it still, you know, meant something to him. And he always seemed to get slapped for it, right? Uh, on some level, every time he sort of put his put something out on the line emotionally, the fans would all you know would always kind of slap him back, right? And I think he learned. I mean, it, there's. To me, it's it's um, to go from this song to you know just a few years later, every song was like a sexual innuendo song, right? You know, I mean, he 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 just took such a left turn. I think he felt like, you know, I mean, I I kind of equate it to the way Rivers Cuomo felt about Pinkerton, the second Weezer record. Yes, where he's so emotional and so uh, just putting his heart out there. And was such a commercial failure, he felt embarrassed. He backed off of that kind of music and yep. just, you know, started writing pop songs and, you know, whatever. I mean, I think it's the same thing. When you put yourself out there so hard and so much and get rejected for it. Well, yeah, it, it happened with Pinkerton. I think it also happened, um, and it wasn't a rejection, it was a huge success, but OK Computer, right? Like OK Computer is an album where, you know, you get a guy who puts himself out 100% in port, you know, pours his heart in the material. And well, no, he did get rejected. I mean, there was a lot of, um, you know, I mean, as much as it sold a, a 10 trillion copies, and it was a huge, you know, massive successful record, OK Computer. Um, it, it's also something that critics, you know, they tore apart as, as pretentious. And, you know, I mean, I, Gene crying is incredibly pretentious. Well, but the difference is, I think, Pinkerton in particular, and OK Computer too. I mean, I think if there was critical uh, blasting of OK Computer, people have certainly turned around on that record. And Pinkerton as well was a hugely influential record that even critics now say they were wrong about. Right. I don't think anyone's going to change their opinion about The Elder <laughs> anytime no. soon. That, that's fair. That's fair. Ju- Julian, you, uh, I guess you're the last one to weigh in on, on World Without Heroes. Are you a like, dislike... You know, I, I love the song. I think it's a great melancholy piece. I think it's the dumbest possible single they could have released if, uh, you know, the American audience didn't like Paul Stanley doing Shandy or Tomorrow to follow that up with this as a single. 
you know, it, it's just insanity. Right. Um, but the song is fantastic. Um, it's definitely one of the high points in terms of this sort of material uh, throughout the band's career. Um, you know, it's, it's a standout track. Yes. And I would love to hear the Lou Reed version. Oh, wow. That's a, uh, because uh, if you guys recall the Exposed 2 video cassette that was like supposed to be released in 1992, there's sample art, artwork for that uh, video that uh, said that it was going to include um, a version of the song with Lou Reed singing. So wow. that's a, a little bit of food for thought of uh, just how much, you know, maybe he's involved in it. Well, I know that, I mean, you know, so there's the song, what is it? Um, I, I Want You Only. Is that what it's called? No, uh, uh, every little bit of your heart, or every yeah, every little bit of my heart was Paul's original, um, right? Demo or, or melody idea yeah. uh, that starts off with "I want you only." That's you right. Know. Okay, okay. So yeah, and that's and that that you know that became the the musical, I guess, part of World Without Heroes. And then my understanding is Lou Reed had written on a piece of paper world without heroes is like a bird without wings or something like that or a world without sun i mean he had some of the lyrics written down and then gene liked it and put it on that song and, and the rest is history but i didn't know that lou reed recorded it did he record it for the elder was that the idea you know one piece of sample artwork for a video doesn't tell you the whole story so you know <laughs> th there's th th there's just not much to really go on you know it it, it said uh, that it would feature uh, the Lou Reed recording, but whatever that means. Wow. Oh, interesting. You know, it's it's just an interesting concept to think of Lou Reed singing that. So. Yeah. No, that that's that's pretty cool. And talk about trying to get a um like a grab for the critics' adoration, right? I mean, you put Lou Reed on a record, you know, and I mean, it, it's like how much more obvious can it be that they wanted to be taken seriously? Well, that's one thing they made a you know a minor deal about that. And being 11 years old, I was really like, "Who's Lou Reed?" Right. You know, it meant nothing to me, you know, at the time. Right. You know, this is an album where you start seeing all these other names starting cropping up on Kiss albums. It's no longer self-contained writing. You you got Lou popping up. You've got Tony Powers' material being brought into the band much more. You know, they weren't customizing it like they did with King of the Nighttime World and earlier material. So, I mean, it only gets worse from 82 on. Um, you know, it, it kind of shows them to be a little bit devoid of ideas internally and wanting other people to, you know, really, I guess, check them, you know, and, and say, hey, you know, yeah, you know, give us some ideas here. Well, right. And, and there's a so it's a it becomes an asset or a property and people are are trying to feed that property and keep it afloat, right? I mean, there's a you, you have a name and a logo, at which point people you know people can ride on it, and it keeps it going, right? I mean, you know, I mean, without um, without Jean Beauvoir and you know wh whoever and uh, what's his name who co-wrote Heaven's on Fire, oh Desmond. Right, you know all of that. You know, yeah, the, you, you, you got to get a new perspective on your stuff. You know, when you're when you're trying to reinvent yourself. So, you know, the, you know, it's it's all fair. You know, there's no, there's no criticism of oh, bringing sure. bringing in other people because you know, how many songs can you write when you've only got your own perspective? Now, does anyone know the timeline uh, in terms of Bob Ezrin and Lou Reed? Had they worked together yet? Or was that? Oh yeah, they had worked uh, way back okay. in seventy well seventy five. Um, with Bob Kulik, so 
Oh, right, right. I, right. I'd have to Google that to make sure, but uh, that I'm pretty sure their connection goes way back. Okay, okay. And then we're off, you know, from We're Without Heroes, we're off to a song that arguably should have been the single, right? I would agree with that, absolutely. Right, so The Oath, an, another song that they did perform on Fridays. What do people think of that version? That's a great version, uh, just because of Ace's guitar work. I mean, I enjoy it. Yeah. I think it's. I, I. I mean, I like. I love that they played it. I think Ace is. Uh, it's not Ace's finest moment. That guitar solo. I mean, he's just kind of. It's a. It's. It's the bad side of Ace to me because it's just a collection of Ace riffs, put together. It's not. I mean, he barely gets out of it alive. Right at the end. You know, but he does get out of it, and that's what's so great about it. Well, yeah, but... Ba- it's, I mean, uh, it's here I go, and I'll see you at the end of the song. Yeah, but he's one... He was just literally at the end of it, just one or two notes away from just being it being a, some kind of disaster. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, I mean, it, it's it's that tight and loose line that he walks so well <laughs> that makes Ace so likable, I think. Um, you know, where it could be a train wreck, but he, he saves it at the last minute. Yeah. But Ace is always very tight when he's good. And when he's on, he's very tight. And it's, it, it is a bit sloppy on that performance, I think. It's cool that he's playing it. It's also a bit sloppy. Um, and, and, and it's a heavy performance, too. I mean, Ace doesn't usually play stuff that, that, that that's quite that choppy and heavy, you know, or chopsy, I guess, with, like, very kind of heavy metal sound to it you know like it's like a maiden song it's like a heart song right it's really like a heart song it's it's barracuda isn't it the best part about those those two songs the the oath and world without heroes when you see him perform live it's it's where you learn that gene simmons can't uh uh do uh he can't do a warble in his voice without actually shaking his whole head (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? He can't do that kind of Elvis Costello vibrato without just, you know, making yeah. his whole head do it. Like, it's like a bobblehead when he tries to do it. <laughs> right. It's true. It's true. And maybe that's a, also a function of, of walking on really goofy-looking uh, high heels. I mean, at that point, Gene had shoes that I'm pretty sure my, my aunt wore, um, <laughs> like from Bloomingdale's. Uh, so I, I don't know. Um, I like the, the the Flo and Eddie interview that happened right around that time too, because I think at that point they already knew that the elder was maybe not a good idea, and there's a lot of them making being made fun of and making fun of themselves for it. This is this is us being very artsy. This is a beautiful videotape of a wonderful song called "World Without Heroes." We, we can, can look at it right it. back here. here. Right. I'll watch yeah. it back here, and you're going to notice at the end, here. Gene cries. And nobody has cried on anything of this sort since that Indian when the kids throw the garbage and the guy sitting on. Oh, you haven't been in the audience. <laughs> and then we get into Gene with his token, I don't know, like uh, almost human, God of Thunder, you know, the, uh, the demon moment, right? If they would have done a tour, he would have spit the blood to this song. You think oh, so? My yeah. God. I think it would have been an all right blood spitting song, you know. As strange as that is to say in that, that sentence there. You but, guys are forgiving. You guys are so forgiving. Yeah? Oh, really? You're not, not, not a fan of Mr. Blackwell? Well, here's the thing. When I was, again, at 11 years old, 
even I thought this is the cheesiest song because of the rhyming in the chorus. You know, Mr. Blackwell, you can tell, go to hell. It was like a song that I, it was a chorus that I could have written at 11 years old. And it was so, those rhymes are so obvious and so rudimentary and not in a good way to me that that, that probably more than anything else on this record really started me, it really soured me on this band because I just thought this is just, this is the lowest point of, and you know, and you know, this is not a band that's known for their poetry to begin with. Right. But yet for some reason that song and that chorus uh, just hit me in just so the wrong way. And to this day, I just think it's such a weird, I don't understand what the purpose of the song is, even in the context of the record. It's one of those, like it almost offends you. It, it's so yeah, cheesy. Well, it's yeah. I just don't, it's like a, it's like a song that, um, you know, like escape the editing process of the of the track listing for some reason. Like it slipped in there somehow. You know, I just don't. I yeah. You know, maybe it's just me, but I don't. I don't understand. I mean, I'm I'm curious to hear what you guys think. I don't know what the redeeming quality of that song is as a song in the context of the album. You know, what is it? Well, if the song does anything for me, it it does give you that idea of a Gene Simmons rocker a little bit. As cheesy as it is, it of any of Gene's songs on the album, that one has the crunch to it. That one has the, the demon in there a little bit. So, that and, and I, of course. I can see that. I just remember also being freaked out by, in the verses, you know, those, those big empty spaces with that weird noise in the background. Yeah, very bizarre sounding. Very yeah. bizarre sounding. Well, uh, well, uh, J- Julian, I- I'd like to hear what you think before I, I weigh in. From day from the first time I heard it, the song hasn't done a thing for me. It's it's just nothing. Okay. And uh, and to find out later that Mr. Blackwell's supposed to be the bad guy, you know, one of the bad guys in this whole story, you know, it's just kind of comical. Oh, also, you, you I, I will say this: even at eleven years old, I had heard of the real Mr. Blackwell, who did all wow. the and exactly. Yeah. That's kind of the the connection I always brought with it too. Yeah, which doesn't help at all. No. I didn't have that connection um, at the time. And I'll tell you what, um, there's a term that gets used uh, when referring to the the devil. And the term is the base deceiver. Um, And and I tend to think that if, you know, if the devil's going to be anything, it's not going to be like what's on the cover of Dio Records. Although that's scary too, but the devil's going to be a guy who comes in in the middle of everything being very sincere, very medieval, very good intention, well intentioned, and he's going to be the guy who comes in and says, "Hey, you know what? This is all BS. You know, there's nothing here that can't be bought or sold. You know, and and all and everything that you value and take seriously is nothing. It's crap." And I kind of like that lyric because of, I guess, what Joe, what, what you don't like about it is sort of what I do like about it, which is that um, it's very kind of just straightforward, straight ahead. That to me is a very Lou Reed lyric because Lou Reed writes lyrics like that. Um, so it kind of appeals to me. I like it musically. I love the sort of um, psychedelic, backwardsy, satanic part. Um, and musically, uh, it works for me wedged between, you know, 
it, like right before, I guess, Escape from the Island. It works quite nicely, I think. But I do see what you're saying. I mean, it's the start of Gene writing songs about like, you know, look both ways before you cross the street, put your eggs in one basket, you know, like all the kind of cliches and crap that he, he throws in there. I just, I mean, I, does it get any worse than, you know, you're not well, Mr. Blackwell, and we can tell? Come on. That's horrible. Um, I don't know. Uh, Want to put my log in your fireplace? <laughs> Capricorn, she's a cancer. Put your hand in my pocket. Um, hooligan and fooligan. <laughs> and I'm, who the hell wants to be known as Mr. Speed? I mean, who, who wants the ladies to call well, Mr. Speed? Well, right, right. That's a good question. I mean, come on, guys. Right. I mean, I sure as hell don't. <laughs> That's true. That's a good point. Um, but I don't know. You, you, this might not have been the blood spinning song. I mean, I, I, could, I see what you mean. But on the other hand, people are complaining about uh, I'm an animal, that that was a, you know, ground the show down to a halt. Oh, did it ever. I, I, I will agree with that, actually, 100%. It was, okay. It was a concert killer. And Within, right? I mean, I was pleased that they played those songs live. I like Within. I love I'm an animal, but it's it stopped the show and not in a good way. Uh, I sometimes wonder if they even rehearsed Within. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Just saying, guys. <laughs> Moving on to a song that, James, it's got to be near and dear to your heart and mine as well, which is Escape from the Island. Well, it seems like every month, about once a month, I hear this song for right. about 40 months now, um, 41 months or something like that. Right. It's, it's a great song. You know, it's, 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 it's incredible. A, a great instrumental from Ace. Really, I mean, you, only, you have Dark Light on here, which is very Ace, but for some reason for me, it's always felt like Escape from the Island was really Ace's, Ace's touch on the album was really Ace's uh, Ace's moment, so to speak. And where I think that some of the guitar playing, like Joe was talking about, the like Ace doing all the Aceisms for for uh, the Friday's performance, where, where I think that some of that is uninspired, um, I think that this song is, is very inspired. I think the guitar soloing doesn't sound like a bunch of cliches. It's really Ace uh, working with the song magically. It almost feels like Ace is making a statement with the song, like, you know, this is still my band, too. And it, it works for the album, but it also, it, it really gives, if anything on the album kind of feels like Kiss to me, it's it's Escape from the Island. Is that how many, how many members of Kiss are actually on it, you know? Yeah, well, exactly. You know, is Gene and Paul even on there? So, well, no, no, I, no, no, Bob. But I think that, I, think that uh, I have a feeling, though, that, it is it is sort of a great sort of Ace's personality kind of comes through, but I feel like if there was a moment where Ace threw the non-existent CD across the room when he heard it, as he claims, that it was the siren in this song, <laughs> right? Which okay. is just it just cuts through in, in like it it just it's like a dentist drill of you know you want to hear this sort of rocking up tempo piece of music, and that thing just it, to me, in my mind, it's just never ending. It feels like it goes through the whole song, and it doesn't. But that's just that's the impression it leaves, you know. And, and if Bob Ezrin gets a writing credit for adding that uh, that siren in there, God help us all. Well, no, he plays bass on the song too, Bob Ezrin. Ah, okay. Right, 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 right. Well, the siren. What's what? I think it's exciting when you listen to it. But what's annoying about it, like you said, is that you're trying to hear this just solid, solid rock performance. 
And the siren comes in almost as like, hey, just in case you forgot, it's a concept album. You know, here it is, yeah. folks. The you know the little piece of sound effect just for you. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, if they'd played it live, maybe they could have gone into Firehouse with it. Oh, I like oh, that. No, this, would be, this would be the fire spitting song. <laughs> ah, right, 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 <laughs> right. Well, we're we're almost there. We should talk about the 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 tour that wasn't. But before we do, I guess uh, we've got the last song, which is I. I love that song. So really, I got a real soft spot for that one. It's 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 the song that made me delve deeper into the record. I, I think, unfortunately, I liked I more then than I do now. It's not that I dislike the song. It just doesn't do much for me anymore. But definitely, I mean, a strong, a strong song for, you know, to close the record with. It's the most Kiss-like song, uh, you know, that's on there. And I'm glad they say balls on the record. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I got gotcha. you. You know, it's um, a great positive anthem. You, you really can't go wrong. It's just, you know, good message there. Well, but, it, but I will say this, too, though. It is, um, when I heard it, and I really listened to it, and I knew, uh, you know, Peter had left the band, obviously, and Ace only had one song on this record as opposed to three that he had on, like you said, the previous two albums. But when I heard this song and there, that no, no solo middle section with just the, the snaps, I knew Ace was, had one foot out the door. Right. You right. just knew it from that arrangement. He right. was not on it. There's no guitar solo. And if any song uh, could have had it, not that it needed it or that it, it, it you know, it, it's fine as it is, because it's a good song, but just in terms of the relationship of the band and the spirit of the band, that you really miss it, you know? Well, right. It was a, it was a, a missed opportunity for them to kind of be unified again, because it, it could have been the rock and roll all night of the song. I mean, in fact, of course, there's that sort of Beatle moment, you know, the, um, what is it in uh, All You Need Is Love, where they shout out at the end of the song, they start singing... Um, she yeah, loves yesterday, you. Yesterday, yesterday, and she, and she loves you exactly right. And then you know, like they end I with the uh, Gene shouting, "I want to rock and roll all night." Yeah. Um, you know, it could have been had Ace been more of a presence or any of a presence on that song. I guess they could have had their moment, right? It could have galvanized it a little bit. I think the one thing that works against that song being that is the 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 gallop of the drums as opposed to being sort of straight ahead, you know, you know, four, four kind of rocker. It has this kind of, you know, galloping quality, which works for the song, but it, you know, to, I don't know. In 1981, uh, if you think about, this is just a year after probably the, one of the definitive, certainly the definitive rock album of the early eighties, which is, you know, back in black. Right. To have this kind of gallopy thing, you know, I don't know. I mean, again, it's it's the same mindset that put like like we said before that put "World Without Heroes" as the first single. Right. That thought, all right, we'll have this kind of drum pattern for this song. It's just a, you know, like a a, a minor misfire, you know. Well, it's a. I mean, it's a. Um, it's a Thin Lizzy dr- kind of drum thing, right? And like Thin Lizzy wasn't exactly ripping open the chart in 1981. No, no, certainly not. I think speaking about drums, it would uh, certainly be interesting to hear what it sounded like with Eric 
you know, in the studio playing drums, you know, since they didn't like him on this one either and replaced him. So, you know, would that have given the song a whole different feel had they kept Eric's work or, you know, whether it even got to that stage? Well, he did, he did well enough playing it live. Well, yeah, no problems whatsoever, right? That That's kind of an interesting point, too, because, you know, Joe mentioned the gallop uh, drum pattern. And one thing that Eric Carr himself always said is that Detroit Rock City was one of the songs he just could not get the feel to. You know, it was it was maybe one of the only Kiss songs where he just had a hard time getting it. You know, and and uh, I, I I hear that. You know, nothing against Eric Carr. I mean, the guy's amazing. You know, what a loss. But I, I kind of hear that. You've got to get that certain thing with, with a drum pattern like that. There's a real, like, I, I don't know if the technical term is ghost notes or ghost beats. Is that right? There, yeah, there's a, there's, a real, there's a real swagger to it that he just never, never could grasp. But you're right. In Fridays, it, it, when he performs it live, it sounded great. So it could have been terrific. But it is, well, I, I mean, it, you, there's no other, if, not off the top of my head that I can think of, and it's certainly during the Eric Carr years, there's no other Kiss song that really has that kind of drum feel, that kind of tempo, that, 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 that kind of thing, right. you know? So it certainly wasn't something that Eric Carr might not have ever done naturally, you know? Because certainly you can certainly pick out several songs through the 80s that, that are of a type, whether it's the fast stuff like the I'm Alive, Love the Deadly Weapon, you know, stuff. Under the Gun. Under the Gun, no, yeah. No, no, Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they, they have like their little sort of genres within what they did that they always used to fall into. This they never really repeated in any style that they ever did. You know? No, they didn't. It's true. Well, and, with, and, with performing it live, too, I mean, sometimes it just takes having something to perfect you know i mean playing it live is a lot different than than playing it originally yeah and if you had a drum part you know sometimes that happens in my own band is sometimes you need another perspective to give you something to perfect to something to work on and once he had a drum pattern laid down in front of him it was probably a little easier just to play it right and you know we were talking earlier about the Paul Stanley doing his Elvis. This is the song where he really does Elvis. I don't need no money. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Right. Something about this song, you know, I mentioned earlier, uh, works as a kind of you can do it, everybody can climb a mountain thing, for reasons that I, I, I guess, I don't know. Why is why does this work? For me, I, I, some of the other ones don't work. I, I'm not. I, this one, to me, on that level, only works about halfway. Because you know, I believe in me. I mean, it's there. It's it is sort of like it's, um, you know, a self-actualizing kind of. You know, I, I I believe in myself kind of song, but but yet, to me, it's a bit. It's slightly, especially in the chorus. The, the verses are fine, but the chorus is there's a bit of an awkwardness to it, which is they're trying to put across this idea, but yet there's something. I mean, you know, Gene especially, and certainly in, in now that we've seen sort of what he's turned into as a personality in the media, you know, I believe in me takes on a different yes sort of tenor, you know. Well, right. <laughs> 
Yeah. It's a bit more self-aggrandizing than I think they meant it to be at the time. Well, but, at the, right at the time, it was just the the end cap to a story that 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 for which that was the central theme. But now, I mean, yeah, in hindsight, it has a very different kind of purpose. Yeah. Well, who would have been there on opening night for that movie? Oh, if I'd have been alive and they'd put one out, I'm sure as hell I would have been there. And probably wouldn't have understood a damn lick of it. And <laughs> it'd have been all right. <laughs> it'd have been fun. I, mean, I think I would have waited for the video. <laughs> no, because the video would have been, you know, $150 to rent at that time, right? I mean, <laughs> like on, on Betamax or whatever. Yeah, it could have been their first Kiss Vision release. Oh, that's Straight right. to video. That's right. Now, now, just an interesting, like, um, subtext to that is that, uh, or footnote, I guess, is that there there was a plan for a movie after Unmasked, after that tour of Australia. Is that right? Yeah, they had planned to film it and do sort of like a, a tour type film. Yeah. And not even a tour documentary, but there, it was kind of going to be like a, um, what's the Led Zeppelin movie? The Song Remains the Same, where they were like, kind of fantasy sequences but also performance uh sequences um oh good heavens yeah yeah no for sure that would have been excellent i i would have been all over it well i i for one am glad that they made this record i'm very glad that it stopped there and that they didn't do a movie i i as much as i would have enjoyed it for nostalgic slash masochistic reasons um you know, it, there's only so much damage that you can do. And then, of course, you have to make the Elder to make Creatures of the Night. You know, so and I think anyone agrees that Creatures is a, a step, massive step in the right direction. And even if you don't like the Elder, it had to happen. I agree. Well, the left, I mean, you know, that is one of those left turns that bands take when they, you know... And as much as it was like a return to form, it was so much more, it was so beyond what their form had been that, you know, you get a nosebleed from that left turn. Right. They, you know. and, and, and as Julian put it, it was the, the rock bottom that they needed to get back up to, to something. And while Creatures wasn't the top financially, it, it, musically it was, a, you know, it was such a huge quantum leap ahead for a band that needed it. Let's talk about the tour that didn't happen. Right, and we've—I'm sure we've all read about things or seen sketches. They—they they were planning something huge, um, with the like bees on stage and lasers and and a and a wishing well and a tank and a check chessboard. Um, I mean, if Destroyer was patchwork, this would have been a—I think—a nightmare. It just sounds it, horrible. It would have been just financial suicide. It's Probably. absolute financial suicide probably you know it sounds it sounds like a brainstorming session gone mad you know what can we do well let's put the kitchen sink in as well right i think i think the only thing that is comparable to it that actually did happen was the sticks tour where they what's the album <laughs> on it? oh yeah yeah sure sure um uh oh god um kilroy kilroy was here kilroy yeah. and they did that whole kind of they had their headset mics on and they're acting and it was just embarrassing you know yeah i think that's sort of like the glimpse into what an elder tour might have been i mean you think now let's let's go back let's like get into the realm of what could be cool about it at this point in their career when they're doing tours they're doing like 
maybe three songs from the new record when you know they'll put into the set now this is an easy question i think what three songs would they have done you know right well they probably would have done world without heroes for a while and yeah. then i i predict as, as is so often the case with a gene song they would have dropped that uh and hopefully put in dark light you know i mean that that's sort uh, of that, that could I think work. it's more realistic to think that they would have dropped that and played Doctor Love. Uh, <laughs> I really, yeah. I really think right. that they would have started off playing far more songs than they would at the end of the tour. I, I think by the end of the tour, it would much more resemble a a typical Kiss tour than than the Elder tour. I think it's really. I think they would have just played the songs they played on Fridays. Those would have been the three they would have put out there because they had rehearsed them, obviously. <laughs> you know. Right. And, uh, you know, the rest would have been, you know, I mean, the, the thing to think about that's interesting is, let's say they did that. It was, it was more like a typical Kiss tour. They have the three new songs. But what, what else would they have played? Would they have said, all right, we're not doing songs from Dynasty and Unmasked. We're going to, it'll be these three songs from The Elder. And then more, you know, what, you know now what we say, quote, unquote, classic Kiss Fair, which they'd gotten away from, you know, on the Dynasty tour. Yeah, maybe what we would have heard was something that we never did hear, which is Eric Carr playing drums on a Hotter Than Hell song, right? So I could see on a <laughs> tour like that, maybe they would have brought Watching You back, or, you know, maybe Eric Carr could have sung Strange Ways or something like that, you know, with with Ace still in the band, you know, that would have been cool. Sure. I kind of get the feeling that a tour for the Elder would have continued some of the uh, Unmasked and Dynasty stuff. I, I just don't think they would have gotten over it yet, gotten the message. So, <laughs> Really? I, I think American audiences would have been treated to, you know, probably a bit more shandy. Wow. I, you know, I don't know, because, I, cause, you know, on the, on the Unmasked tour, they did, they started, they did what I did not expect they would do, I mean, in, in hindsight, which is, they brought back Strutter and Cold Gin, which are not songs that they would have considered playing in America for the young audience that was coming to see them. But that was the, I mean, I felt like, you know, the audience in Australia was young as well. But to play Cold Gin to that audience, it's pretty True. ballsy. Yet in November 81, well, they went to Mexico and they lip synced Charisma. So I guess that might have made it into the set, you know, and the things possible. Easily, yeah. easily one of the most interesting uh, pieces of, of footage of that band. Very know? bizarre. And, and uh, for those who are listening who don't know what we're talking about, they, w they went to South America in the elder costumes and lip-synced uh, I Was Made for Loving You and Charisma with Eric Carr on drums, Ace was there, and it was just, uh, really just such a weird mix of aesthetics, you know? And that certainly would have been a better song to have on tour rather than Mr. Blackwell. <laughs> I, I, no doubt. Would would any of it work today live? What could they play live from that album? Escape from the Island, and that's about it. Hmm. I, I, as much as I would love to see it happen, I, this is one that they always say never say never, but I never see them playing anything from The Elder. I just don't see it happening. Well, you know, there's that, again, to, you know, famous YouTube footage when they were doing 
the theaters in Australia, when they, and this is when they first started doing things like All the Way and Love Her All I Can, and probably were emboldened by the response from smaller audiences, probably 5,000 seaters or whatever they were playing, to that material. But there's that famous thing where they try to play I, and it's just, you know, it's, I mean, uh, Tommy and Eric know it better than Gene and Paul. Oh, yeah. I was going to kick out of the guy in that clip. He's like, you better fucking learn it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, fantastic. I love, I love that guy. If you're, Dude, if you're listening, let us know, whoever, whichever Australian guy you are. If it had made money, would Gene and Paul speak highly of it? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I don't think so. Huh. Even even if it had been phenomenally successful? I think they would eventually have come around to the idea that it really isn't KISS. It isn't about what, you know, what the band's usually try to present itself as being even when they've you know gone for a little bit of reinvention it's just too far out of left field and god help us i mean if it had been a big success just think of what the next album would have been like right well actually i I think but had a couple more i I think in long term it could have damaged the legacy of the band a lot more than it did as well if it kiss has, has always done whenever anything's kind of been successful for kiss um they've often been guilty of overdoing things yeah so we yeah. we could have really had an elder part two that we could be doing a podcast about. <laughs> if only a man can dream, can't he? Uh, no, you know, and and we talked about this uh, other times. The sister albums, like you have, you know, Rock and Roll Over and Love Gun. You have uh, Creatures and Look It Up and Asylum and and Asylum and Analyze and um, yeah. It, had there been a sister album to this, it you know, God knows what it would have been. Um, maybe you're right, Julian. Maybe the success of the album wouldn't have made a difference because they've always spoken very highly of Creatures in spite of the fact that it was a financial bomb. Um, and, and, you know, also, Sonic Boom did not sell a lot of copies, right? And they've continued to speak very highly of that record. So, who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe even a platinum album of The Elder wouldn't have made a difference. I mean, it's kind of hard to look at Kiss's catalog and have, you know, two albums there way down at the bottom, The Elder and Carnival of Souls. You know, it's it's kind of sad to, right. to have two albums like that that are so divisive in the community. Right. Both of which have, I think, their shortcomings and strong merits. Um, and at some point I'd like to talk about Carnival of Souls, but that is another podcast for another day. And I know we've been talking for quite some time. Anything, any any kind of closing points about the elder anything people want to say about that don't be afraid of it you know if, if you're if you're a young kiss fan and you're, and you're starting off you know people talk a lot of a bad they say a lot of bad things about the elder but you really just have to listen to the album start to finish and, and make your own judgment i mean it's a very different record but that's not always a bad thing 
you know, I don't listen to the elder at all these days. I used to listen to a, a lot in my teenage years, you know, and twenties, you know, but it, it's a nice, a nice part of the catalog. And I would just be happy at this point to find out if it ever did actually sell over 500,000 copies and get some updated sound scan figures on this. Yeah. Yeah. I I have a lot of nostalgia for this record, you know, because it in a weird way. And I think, you know, this is sort of like in the history of kiss and the story of this band, it is an important record. Uh, but for me, you know, at a, I was so, they were the first band I loved and I was so loyal to them. And this is the album that they really tested me, you know, which they should, you know, which it, it should have happened. It was, it was right to happen. It was, it was healthy for me at the time to kind of go, okay, they aren't the greatest things that sliced bread musically, you know, as much as I could formulate that at 11 years old, but it did, it turned me off of the band enough to start listening to other bands, which I hadn't been doing. Right. You know, I was so tunnel vision about Kiss. They'd made such a huge impression on me. And this was the album where I was, because I was there for Dynasty, I was there for Unmasked, and my critical faculties were just not there to see. I just thought these are classic Kiss albums at the time. And now I think they're classic for different reasons. This one... At the time, I just thought, I, I, I'm just not here for it. This is just not doing it for me. And that's always important for a music fan to have things that, that do form your critical you know, uh, ability to kind of judge things like, I like this more than this, or this didn't do it for me, even though I love this band. So it's, I, to me, that's, that's what's important about this record. You know. so kind of like you, like it was important to you because it introduced you to the idea that you can love a band and dislike an album by that band. Exactly. Okay. And that's that's yeah. important. That's a that's a that's a healthy aspect of being a fan of something because it's it's learning to appreciate things for different reasons than just that knee jerk. I love this band and I love everything they do. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. No, I can see that. I mean, I I think for me that moment came. Um, a little bit later with Asylum, which is the first Kiss record that I heard that I said, I don't like this album. There's moments on it that I really love. And now looking back, there's things about it that I like a lot. But it's still, it, it's probably my least favorite Kiss record. And w whereas The Elder remains uh, really high up there for me musically and aesthetically, there's always something interesting that happens when uh, Kiss is comprised of Gene Paul Ace and not Peter. Um, and that's no knock against Peter. You know, he's the man. We love Peter. But when, when, it's, when it's those three guitarists and, a, and, a, and not Peter on drums, there's always a, a kind of a weird tension that happens or some kind of, like, you don't know what's going to happen. And I remember when they remastered the Kiss records, they put them out in blocks of four. And the block that, that contained Dynasty, Unmasked, The Elder, and Creatures was the one I was looking forward to the most. And it's still, I think, the most interesting set uh, in terms of how much they changed in such a relatively short period of time musically and visually. And without The Elder, it, it wouldn't have happened like that. It was, it's, it's an important part of history. Well, it all, it's also important because if, you, if you're a fan who happens to just love the Paul, Gene, Ace, and Eric lineup, this is the only album that you got. Right. You know? Right. Killers doesn't give us that. This no. is, this does so. This is it. This is it. Well, possibly creatures from what we're hearing now, right? I mean, there's some 
now there's some discussion of like maybe Ace was on that record. I don't buy it. I just don't. No way. Yeah. I don't buy it. No, no way. No. Why would they lie until uh, up until now about Ace being on the album? Right. It doesn't. It doesn't add up. Right. Not one note. Not one chord. No way. What do you think, Julian? If he was in the studio, he was just there to pick up a check. Right. <laughs> well, thanks so much, guys, for being a part of this discussion. Ken is under the weather. Uh, really not feeling well, and it's too bad because right up until the last minute he was planning to be here uh, discussing this album. I know that he has strong feelings about it, and um, and he's gonna want to listen to this. And um, it's just, you know, shame he couldn't be here, but he says hello to everybody and thank you everyone who's gonna be listening to this. And I hope to have you guys back on for the next record we talk about. Yeah. yeah. And I just like to clarify, you know, I, I said Ezrin and Coney Island. It wasn't. It was Berlin. So 1973 for the Lou Reed. Ezrin connection. Ah, okay. Uh, okay. I did go. I did go out and fact check myself. Were you googling? Okay. I was. <laughs> it's all. It was indeed that, that bothered me. All right. Well, thanks everybody, and uh, see you soon. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. Take care. Thanks, guys. And that is our show. Thank you for listening. Be sure to check us out on the web at www.podkiss.com. Thank you also to kissfaq.com, to kissonline.com, and all of the websites listed in our links section. And as always, big thanks to Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Ace Fraley, Peter Chris, Vinnie Vincent, Bruce Tulip, Eric Singer, Tommy Thayer, and the memories of the late great Eric Carr, and the late great Mark St. John. You are Kiss, and we are yours.